every once in a while, you know, when a preacher preaches, you get to see something about the preacher. And in this case today, you're going to see a weird sense of humor that belongs to the Likers. It's my family uh, heritage, I guess. Uh, when I was in the seminary about 50 years ago, and I love this about our brains, that we can hear something once, and it can make such an impression that it changes us forever. And this was a case of this uh, seminarian from Cuba. His name was Fausto. And he uh, it got accentuated because years later after I was ordained, 11 years uh, in fact, I went to a parish in South Central Los Angeles, and he had been a deacon there for a year, the year before. So our paths kind of crossed again. But in the seminary, Fausto, uh, he always had to one-up you. No matter what you said or did, he could always beat it with something better. So if I said, um, oh, I just got a new pair of shoes yesterday, they're really cool, he'd say, well, I have a similar experience, but I got, I got two pairs. And I was like, really? Or if you said, I was so blessed to go on a cruise last year, I saw eight cities in Europe. He said, I had a similar experience, uh, but I saw 16 cities. And he'd always have to one-up you. So we called it a Fausto. And even to this day, tonight I'm going to get with Father Gilbert, I'm sure, and if he tells a story that happened in the parish today, I'll, sometimes I'll say, um, well, this isn't a Fausto. And then they always say, but it is. And then you, you try and, you know, do one better. Well, the scriptures today remind me of Fausto because each scripture tries to one-up the other one, I think. And uh, if I had to pick a single word, which I often like to do, that somehow describes them all, I would say urgent or some form of urgent, urgency, urgently, because each of the scriptures is describing a need, a need on our part to respond and to respond with all our heart. So, we have in the first reading the story of Job, and, and I want to just say, you have to agree with me, you know, I always tell you, keep your spiritual wastebasket there, and if you don't like what I'm saying, throw it in there, okay? It's, it's up to you. But I don't think this story happened, Jonah. I, I, it's just is, there's something ridiculous about living inside the tummy of a whale for three days. The gastric juices alone would kill you. I, who would survive it? But it's a great story anyway, and it's very visual, so it, the lesson becomes super clear. And this is it in, in a nutshell. Jonah felt called by God to be a prophet, but he didn't want to do it because the prophets were often beat up or exiled from their town or city, and often they were even killed. So Jonah was told by God, I want you to go to Nineveh and te tell them they have to repent, and he went the opposite direction on a ship. And he got as far away from Nineveh as he could. So, according to the story, and God said, if you, if you don't get them to repent, I'm going to destroy their city and all of them. Now, that's another problem I have with the Scriptures because I just don't believe God destroys. I just don't. I think when we're sinful and, and obstinate and ridiculous, he loves us even more. And not actually loves us more, but, but wants that love that is 100% all the time to fill us and change our hearts. But having said that, Jonah goes the opposite direction. So, according to the story, God causes the sea to make a big storm, and the ship is near ready to sink. So the men on board say, somebody sinned against God, because this is a godly storm. This is too big. So they find Jonah sleeping at the, in the bottom part of the boat, 
And he admits, well, yeah, God called me and I ran away from God. So they said, oh, it's your fault. So they decide to throw him overboard. Gets better. A whale comes and eats him, but doesn't eat him, just swallows him down into his tummy. And for three days, swimming in gastric deuces or whatever, he survives as it gets to the shore, the, the whale spits him up on the shore. Now, he just, he can't avoid it. He has to do what God said. So he had 40 days to change their minds. Now, 40 is a biblical number. 40 means it's a big chunk of time. It's like, you wouldn't say, was it a month long? Oh, no, it was more than a month. It was 40 days. 40 days he had to convince them to repent and change their ways. But here's where the story gets super powerful, urgent. He does, the city was so big, it took three days to walk through it, it said. He didn't even complete the first day. And everybody decided to change their ways, from the king down to the lowest person, and even the animals. They put ashes on all of them and sackcloth on the people to go around and saying, forgive us, Lord, forgive us, Lord, forgive us, Lord, and they repented. And Jonah, doing what God had asked him to do, saved the day, and Nineveh was changed. Because they got the urgent message, you can't wait. You've only got 40 days to decide this. And they decided it. Now, in response to that, we saying that, teach me your ways, O Lord, which is the perfect response. What if we did that every single day of our life? What if in, a, in our morning prayer we got up and said, Lord, teach me your ways today? I, and there's so many ways that we need to learn, like forgiveness, like the forgiveness of the cross. Jesus looking at the people that put him on that cross that are hating him and spitting on him and, and slapping him and mocking him, and he says, Father, forgive them all. They don't know what they do. Teach me your way, O oh Lord. How do you do that? How do you do that? But that's the gift, that way of Christ. So then we go uh, in a Fausto way to the second reading, which is a reading from Paul to the Corinthians. And Paul believed that Jesus was going to make his second coming any day. He believed, and he, this is what he preached. He preaches so clearly here today. You make sure you change your ways and get in get in sync with Christ because he's coming any day. He's going to return and we better be ready when he comes. So he even paints it in this picture. He says, if you're weeping, stop it. Start laughing. If you're laughing, stop it. Start weeping. Uh, and, and he gives these opposites to say, whatever you're doing, you're probably not doing enough, so do the opposite. And he's telling them, it's so urgent, don't waste any time. Get ready for the coming of the Lord. How do you Fausto those two? Well, the gospel tells something so simple that it's like right in front of your eyes, but you say, really? Is that possible? Um, I think we're in the third chapter of, of Mark, and um, John the Baptist has been arrested, it said, the first line. And Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee, and he sees two men, brothers, and he says, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Because they were fishermen, but he wanted to make them fishers of men. Um, that's not extraordinary. They called them, but what's extraordinary is they followed right like that. They dropped their nets and followed. There's no indication in the Bible that I could find that says the men knew him. Maybe they heard him speak once. Maybe they saw a healing. But but it didn't look like they had ever had a conversation or some kind of a friendship or, or uh, you know, that they had listened to his teachings and desired to follow him. All he just says, come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. They dropped the nets and left. 
Now that's extraordinary. Sounds urgent. And then he goes a little further, and there's two more brothers, the sons of Zebedee, and he says the same thing, come follow me. And then it says, they dropped their nets, they left their father and the other hired men and went off and followed Jesus. Now really, would you do that? If I just walk by you later, they say, come follow me, I'm going to have you do something very special. You might say, uh, uh, Father, I'm a little busy today. I, I, can we do it another day? That's what I think I would get to most people. But they dropped everything. They left their work, walked away from their father. In that culture, that, that would not be an easy thing to do. But it was urgent, and they sensed the urgency as they followed Jesus. Now, for us, us, and this is where it is always a challenge, is how do we process that Word of God today, those three readings, those, those very Fausto readings, into our lives? Do we sense the urgency? Now, today, this is interesting because we have two people who are choosing to become catechumens. They're going to celebrate the rite of welcoming. We've done this many times in church. And they're going to say yes to many things, and they're going to be blessed by the sponsors and all of us. And they're saying, I want, I want to become a baptized, confirmed, and Eucharist-filled Christian Catholic. They're not Baptist today. There's, I'm not saying we're better. It's just that they're becoming Catholic. And today they will belong to the church as catechumens, but not yet fully initiated. That happens on the Easter Vigil night. But this is the call, and they're responding. And who knows the level of response, because everybody responds differently. But here is the option and the choice. Because up until this day, and only God knows, and maybe their parents know, I don't know... Um, Emily, I'm not picking on you, but Emily's 18, 18, uh, and she's not baptized. Now, there's any number of reasons why somebody doesn't get baptized as, as a baby or a small child. Any number of reasons, and I don't know Albert's story, but it doesn't matter because when we hear the call, we hear the call. And when we respond to the call, this is the beginning of the possibility and option to discover a rich life within a particular faith. And I'm quite sure it's the same for Jews and people of Islam and Buddhists and everybody else. Whatever their particular religious way, their road of faith, they, they get the call at some point, even if they're baptized as a baby and don't have a clue what just happened to them. I always say that, that babies want only two things in life as a baby. Uh, they want masa um, leche and pampers. That's it. That's what they want. Uh, so they get baptized, and they cry through the whole ceremony because they don't like the water being poured over them. They don't know what happened. They don't remember it. So the church says, anyone over seven years of age, we don't just baptize them real fast. We take them on a journey of faith, and we let them in slowly but surely, mostly to listen to the Word of God, and let that Word of God open their heart and change them. And like today, this message of urgency Maybe they will reflect, yeah, I heard it. I heard it. And how urgent for me now, for me now to make my response. And in preparation for that and to help them in the start, we do it through a ceremony, which is typical of we Catholics. We don't just welcome somebody. We welcome them with a ritual. Um, it's kind of like uh, as I grew up, um, 
You know, there's all kinds of ways. When I was a kid, I didn't even like to shake hands with people. That was just a little too much for me. I'm, I'm German, and uh, that was too, too touchy-feely. But then I got into where we used to do these things. You know, and if you go to France, and most of Europe, they're all ritualized ways of saying hello and welcoming each other. So this is our ritualized way of celebrating Albert and Emily in their welcoming them into the church to become catechumens and to say from now to Easter, they're really going to walk with the Word of God and walk, walk with this community of faith to come to know Christ as fully as they can so that when they're baptized and when that faith is confirmed and when they for the first time eat, eat the body of Christ in Eucharist, that they will be fed deep in their spirit and deep in their faith. 